Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And this week, we've got a really unique episode. Now, you might have noticed for the last few weeks, it hasn't actually been me. You probably noticed the change of pace of tone and pitch, and that was Mr. Rob Moore. And I'm delighted to say that this week, we're going to be hearing from Rob and Mark, founders of Progressive Property, Rob Moore and Mark Homer because in this very special episode on the 11th anniversary of Progressive coming into being, we're gonna hear them being interviewed about the things that they've learned in their 11 years in business and in property. So enough from me, over to you, Rob, over to you, Mark, take it away. And for everybody else, you'll be hearing from me next week. Hi guys, and welcome to the first official episode of PPTV. It's a very special one today. First of all, you've got me, your social media extraordinaire, and Mark and Rob, who you both know very well from Progressive and Unlimited Success. Now, today's a super special episode. It is our 11th year anniversary. And we are here in HQ, where you are now after 11 years. Started in your living room? Mm, yeah, like mine. Like you told us yeah. many times. Yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do today, well, I'll run through and you'll go in a bit more detail about the 11 things that you've learned. Okay. Sound good? Mm, yeah, yep. go for it. Yep. <laughs> okay, so the first one, Mark, you say you should always hold property and never sell. Yeah, so <clears throat> obviously this is driven by yield and the amount of income that the property produces. So as long as it's uh, you know, a good yielding property uh, and it's not causing too many problems and you know, th th there's not sort of a a general issue with the property and that shouldn't be the case as long as you've bought well yep. um, then there's not really much reason to ever get rid of it um, you generally find that you'll come back to it in 10 years it'll have gone up significantly clearly probably not the thing to focus on but even more important than that you will be able to take income from it probably for the rest of your life and I know with properties that we've sold as I drive past them and walk past them later on after the event, um, kind of feel a bit regretful. Yep, yeah. wish you hadn't sold them up. Wish I hadn't sold. Usually, you know, if you need the money, you can get a, a bank to sort of raise a little bit more money on them anyway. Um, you know, in, inflation obviously pushes the, the, the rents up over time and there's other things pushing the rents up even more at the moment. Clearly the government have um, increased uh, taxation and Just some other slightly, things, which yeah. um, which means that there are less landlords about so um, and less rental properties about, so therefore rents are, have gone up and are going up. Uh, but in, in addition to that, obviously, um, over time, prices increase and, and therefore the value and the, and the rents go up and your debt should go down. Having our 11th birthday, we've pretty much gone through pretty much a full cycle. Yeah. And you know, when we started together, we didn't have experience of the cycle. So when you've seen it and you can look back, because I remember actually being in the dining room, living room of my house with Mark, um, when prices start to drop and Mark was probably like whoa you know maybe they won't go up maybe they won't double every 10 years like everyone says and they did uh, and it's just like that for as long as we've been doing it they seem to so yeah hindsight is a wonderful thing and we've got a little bit of it now and <laughs> we've got grey grey bits um, <laughs> anyway shall I do the next one yes yeah okay so the next one is you have a model for sustained success 
Yeah, in property, yeah. Yeah, the V-O-F-M. Yeah, so I think a lot of people get distracted, overwhelmed, confused, spin too many plates, mm -hmm. you know, start, stuff, stop it, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Um, and actually, there are four things if you do in property, specifically, but consistently, and they're easy, you will get successful. And they are simply, one, maintaining the number of viewings. You know, people get really excited, do loads of viewings, a few weeks later, the viewings drop. Oh, there's no properties on the market, or they get distracted. You've got to keep the viewings up. Mark still views to this day, and some, you know, he'd view anything he could. You've got to view even when you're not necessarily in the market for buying, because you've got to show the agents that you're still in the market. You sometimes got to view stuff you don't necessarily want, because you want anything if it's the right <laughs> price. So, you know, it's building a pipeline, well, exactly. It? So. And, it's, and it's getting out there and getting seen and getting known. And yeah, deals will come to you in six months. Mark will tell you sometimes he's had deals that have come to him two years later. Really? Yeah. So the greed deals that have taken two years to complete. Yeah. Mm. So you've got to keep the if anyone's watching, you'll know if you're making good progress because, you know, you're doing a lot of viewings and you'll know if it's started to slow. So get your viewings up. Yeah. The next thing O is offers. There's loads of people who go out there and view 30 properties and don't offer any because, you know, well, I've got to get the perfect price, I've got to get all the money out, I've got to get 30% BMV. You've got to put a decent amount of offers in, and it kind of sounds like common sense. But if you don't want the deal, put a low offer, because yeah. any property works at the right price. Um, and make sure you, on a percentage of your viewings, maybe 25% or something like that, you put offers forward. If you haven't yet got the finance, you still put offers forward, because you could put an offer forward and it gets uh, declined or it gets accepted, but it can still take months to get the property. Mm -hmm. Third thing, which is finance, so the F is finance. If you haven't got access to finance, you don't do the viewings and don't do the offers because you don't feel like you've got access to finance. So getting your credit, good. You know, getting access to loans, you know, whether that's, um, you know, you've got on your Barclays app where you can just click and get your 25 or 35 grand loan. Um, you know, getting JV partners, private investors, you know, Mark, um, through him and his family, you know, we raised money in the early years, um, having good bridging contacts, having good commercial bank contacts, being liquid. And then the final thing, which is the boring bit, which has to be done, is M, which is management. You can buy good deals, but if you don't vet tenants properly, you don't do get properly inventoried, um, do good tenant checking, look after the tenants, look after the property, or if you're doing, say, service accommodation, you know, manage that well as a business, then what started well will start to decay. So the next one, Mark, don't pay trades until the work is complete. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> you have experience there, I'm guessing. Well, um, yeah, Mate, your main man will probably be watching. Yeah, oh God, he'll ask for commission after this. Yeah. So, um, so, sort of over the last 10 years, 11 years, um, clearly we've done hundreds and hundreds of refurbs, developments, you know, building stuff, all sorts of stuff. And a key sort of thing that keeps coming up is um, especially now, trades are very busy. Um, there's lots of work for them. There probably aren't enough trades. Lots of them went in the in the recession, um, and they went off into other sort of you know industries and, and businesses. So there are probably less of them, and there's quite a lot of work. Um, so increasingly, they're just picking and choosing their jobs, and they sort of dart between each one. Not all of them, but lots of them do. So what I find is generally the way to get them to finish a job um, is to only pay for works complete uh, and there'll be some of them will you know really really you know put the pressure on to get all the money paid up before yeah. they've finished uh, and often they'll be trying to get ahead all the way through the job the more ahead they are the less likely many of them are to get your job completed 
in good time. Okay. And especially towards the end of the project, if you've paid everything, lots of them will, will, will sort of just get onto the next job and not come back. Depending just on just disappear. D depending on you know whether if you've got more jobs for them and what sort of relationship you've got. They're not all like that, <laughs> but um, that is a common theme through the industry. And obviously that's then done to them and their subcontractors behaving mm -hmm. the same way. So often, you know, it's something that just sort of goes around. Our next one then is no money down is possible. Back in what well, we met Mark end of 05, start of 06. And within about three months of knowing each other, we started buying properties together. And um, I didn't have any funds and, you know, Mark didn't let me know how much funds he had, but he had funds available. Um, and actually probably had funds he didn't know were available, available all over the place in, in businesses he had and shares that he could sell and things like that. Uh, and um, I would never have been able to start and get into property and get out of debt if you needed deposits. And you know, the discussion of no money down or other people's money or can you do get into property without your own money is, is, is highly debated and topical. On the one hand, people say, well, yeah, you can look at people like me and you know, you just do JVs and you borrow money with, with private loans or you go to you know, bridges or however you get the money. And other people I say, well, I mean, there's nothing strictly no money down. Um, I just want to let everyone know that the, the quickest way to scale your portfolio is by using other people's money. I think a lot of new starters when they come to Progressive as well, their minds are almost blown when they hear it doesn't need to be their own money yeah. when they hear about... Because you don't know adventures. what you don't know. No, exactly. Mm. So moving on then, so economic disasters, cycles, which you spoke about a little bit as well, are usually solvable or even good? I think they are. I mean, crunch 08, 09, mm. 10. Now we're going through some other headwinds like Brexit um, and um, you, you've seen sterling depreciate quite a lot. And because of that, um, inflation's gone up. So the cost of goods and services is rising. Uh, so the, the, the value of your pound in your pocket is reducing. Um, and <coughs> all that stuff um, initially looks like it's going to be a, a big issue. And, you know, newspapers will put headlines up like, oh, well, you know, the, 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 the attacks on buy-to-let, um, taxation is increasing, um, you know, you've got new sort of PRA rules, which means that you need much bigger deposits and you can't borrow as much on a buy-to-let mortgage. So it's making it much more difficult. What they don't say is, well, rents are rising uh, because of that, because there are less landlords in the market. Um, <coughs> as cost prices are increasing um, in, in, in terms of refurbs and in terms of um, men working on the properties, um, that just means that new build cost prices are increasing. It creates an added um, an added sort of push on the value of existing properties. So you've got all these new build properties being built, I don't know, might be helped to buy or shared ownership or whatever. If, if they were costing, I don't know, 90 pounds a foot to build sort of 09, 10 when things were cheap, and now they're more like 110, 120 pounds a foot. Well, they look relatively expensive when they're sold onto a first time buyer in, in comparison to an existing property. Um, so that then drags up the prices of existing properties. Lots of people say, well, you know, house prices are out of control. A lot of the properties we buy um, in this area or, or you know, ha have in the portfolio, the value of that property is actually no more than the cost of rebuilding it. Therefore, the land value is nil or negative. Mm -hmm. So it could be argued that the increases in the 
the, uh, the value of the property over the last two or three years have largely just been driven um, by the, um, the increase in the cost of labour and, and materials. Move through the strategies, cut your teeth, scale up progressively. There's commercial conversions, there's rent to rent, there's deal packaging, there's these all sorts of different types of option agreements, there's, did I say service accommodation, there's obviously single lets, there's standard HMOs, there's, you know, like flat lets, there's mini mo. there's so many property strategies. And I think that it's very easy to get excited and go for the big glory one. And I've seen quite a lot of people in the progressive community, not really with much experience talking about 10, 15, 20,000 square foot buildings for millions of pounds. And people always ask me, where should I start and what strategies should I, should I use? And it's wise to build yourself up by starting with a couple of single lets to get your fundamental knowledge of buying a house, the, you know, the conveyancing process, the rental process, dealing with a letting agent. Because it's easier dealing with one letting agent with one tenant than it is three letting agencies where you've got 24 tenants in three HMOs. And then once you feel comfortable and confident in that, then you get your first HMO and you might do a six or even an eight bed. Once you've done a couple of them, or you need to fight, you haven't got deposits, you might do rent to rents and start with that, um, which is very, fairly low barriers to get into that, um, that strategy. Uh, you know, like Mark bought a lot of single lets before we even did any HMOs. And then we tested a few HMOs before we really scaled it. Uh, and our first commercial property that we bought was actually, um, it was one of these four buildings we're in. It was our office, I think it was over there. Um, and, you know, Mark bought it very cheap, but also we moved progressive property into it. So it's very low risk getting into commercial. We'd not done commercial before. So having a company with good accounts, so it had a decent lease and moving into it and renting it to ourselves, meant we had a guaranteed tenant, which meant we'd solved a problem and we got it, paid 290 for it or something. We did, we? it was 290. And it's worth a lot more now. I mean, that was cheap. In fact, the next door one, when we bought that one to knock it through for the training suite, you had to pay a lot more than that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah for the... that was 390. Yeah, and you didn't like paying 390 for it, <laughs> no. did you? Because he paid, but, but you know, it showed how well he bought it that the one next door we had to pay, mm -hmm. what was that, 35% more um, when, we, when we converted the office into the training suite. This was the old training suite and we moved it back over here. So the point is, we, we didn't jump into commercial and try and HMO the cathedral or something like that, you know, and do a big project. And Mark's, Mark's projects have got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but progressively and slowly bigger and bigger. Dinner party investments, not as good as ugly ones, yield focus, not bragging rights. So, <laughs> lots That's of, such like a mark, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, lo lots of people love um, to, to sort of buy properties and then go and tell other people about what they've bought, which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, I, I, I generally say that the, that the category of investors that, that make the least in this space are usually ones that, that go out and buy stuff because it looks good and because less sophisticated sort of investors or, or people who haven't invested before are impressed because they bought a nice shiny sort of house or brand new flat or, or whatever. Um, and, and, and because it says in the Daily Mail or you know some other newspaper that, that this is the latest investment and that's the hotspot and all this sort of stuff. Often it's not the case. Um, generally speaking, and this is a, a generalisation, the uglier the rental property um, in sort of you know a couple of steps up just from the Bronx is the best the best stuff to buy from a yield perspective. Um, that's the amount of income that it generates. As, as you know as a percentage of its value um, and um, I think it's very important to focus on that um, and, and focus on the money um, and the money will give you sort of 
bragging rights if that's yeah. what you need. <laughs> um, um, but um, I've, I've seen that so many times. Uh, people will go out and buy a, a big five bed house along a, a really nice street um, and, um, and rent it out to a, a nice family. Um, and they'll end up with a 3% yield, whereas they could have gone and bought 10 small single lets um, and got a 7% yield. Um, the debt that they borrow, you know, manage to borrow on the million pound house, five bed, might be 400,000 because that's the, the, the biggest amount of money that that, that, that rent will support because the bank will work out, well, what's the monthly mortgage payment going to be? How much rent do we need to support that? Well, the rent's only this, so therefore you can only borrow 400,000. Whereas if you go and buy smaller, much higher yielding properties, well, you know, they, they, they can support a, a much greater mortgage. So on those, you may borrow 750,000. So I guess as well, you're not tying it all into one property then. So yeah, it reduces the risk well. for sure. Um, so you're putting 250,000 in, 250, in the small, 10 small single lets versus 600,000 into the, 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 the big one. Five bed. <laughs> yeah, and after all the costs, the 10 single lets will generate a bigger income. Mm -hmm. um, capital growth, well, you know, it may be about the same. I don't buy into the notion that um, small, lower end properties um, in, in cheaper areas go up less than nicer, bigger properties in more expensive areas. I think that is just a misconception and a fallacy. Uh, but I hear it all the time. Oh, there's more. You will always get more capital growth in the nice areas. Yeah. And it's just, it's just bunkum. It's absolute bunkum because if you, if you look over, it, it may be the case that at the start of the cycle or you know, at, at, at a given point in time that the nicer area is rising mm -hmm. and after a recession, that they're typically the better areas are the ones that rise the quickest. But what you'll find is that at a different point in the cycle, the lower end area will be rising more than the nicer area. Yeah. A little bit like now. So you had 2010, you know, the epicenter of UK property would be Mayfair. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's where, where all the growth started. And you had Mayfair, you know, Knightsbridge, Kensington, Chelsea, all the best areas. And they, they rose very strongly um, from 2010 onwards after the recession. And you saw areas of the north or Scotland even still going backwards. And of course, all I heard for many years was, um, um, oh well, you, you, your property in London is always going to go up more than your, your properties in the north or you know properties in the Midlands, and that was true at the time. But mm -hmm. people have short memories. You know, we're we're now into a phase where those areas have, have actually fallen a bit okay. because perhaps because stamp duty's gone up and because of you know the uncertainty around Brexit. But I think more so what the commentators don't mention is that those areas have had such a good run. And they're so much. They're, they're like at the front of the roller coaster, and they've gone up to the top, and they've they're coming down. Whereas you've still got the sort of north of England, and, and maybe definitely Scotland and, and and the Midlands, which might be a bit, that's still going up yeah. to the top, the top of the sort of um, hump on 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 the roller coaster track. So um, you know, you, you you're seeing certainly outside of London, that is where most development funders are happier to lend now. Um, lots of the investors within London won't buy within London. They want to buy outside the M25 in areas like the Midlands or um, you know some areas of the north of England, um, commuter land. Um, so I think I think it's important to understand that, yeah. and it's important to 
to probably buy in those areas when they're feeling a bit unloved uh, and people have turned against them uh, because there might have been a great run in London for, for a period of time. But just remember that, you know, people and the economy and the environment is fickle um, and um, that soon changes. Capital growth, you, you can't predict sort of exactly when it's going to take place and, and how much, but over the long run, you, you can have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. Mentors, experienced investors will be the greatest assets. Yeah, I think that um, we're kind of taught in England to work hard and it's almost like culturally wrong to ask for help. And I think that at Progressive we champion the community and reaching out to people who've been there before, people who've blazed the trail. You know, like Mike was sort of an accidental mentor of mine. When I met him, it wasn't like a plan. He was going to be my mentor and, and all that kind of thing. But he was far ahead of me. But we were a similar age and we had similar interests. But he was sort of a mentor of mine in that um, he'd got a lot more property and more experience in business. And the company that he helped me get a job in, the first property company we worked for before Progressive, he'd worked there for a year. So he knew all the, he knew what the boss was going to be like. He knew if the boss had had his coffee, he'd be approachable. And if he hadn't, he wouldn't. And he knew, he knew he'd be trying to get me to finish early on a Friday to go down the, the Draper's Arms. And he knew he'd wanted to take us out and get us drunk on you know, Friday and Saturday night. And he, he just, and, and he, he, he protected me and taught me. Yeah. He taught me about all the overseas stuff that he didn't think was working as well as the existing older stuff. Um, and, and since then, Mark and I have really been sold on the concept of meeting people who are further ahead than you, mm -hmm. trying to get a lunch with them. If they've got mentorship services, pay for them. Try and have a call with them once a month. Provide your, uh, present your challenges to them and ask them what their experience is. Mark's very good at uh, getting information out of people who've been there before to help him build his um, knowledge and a better strategy. You know, like. Why make the mistakes yourself? People say, don't they, it's good to you know, um, make mistakes as long as you don't repeat them. But actually, I think it's not good to make mistakes. It's better to watch someone else make all the mistakes <laughs> and learn vicariously through those. And Mark sometimes uses me as a guide to go and chuck out there and test all these things and see if it works out. Um, and we like to test things first um, or work with people who've already done it. Obviously you also say um, we actually do have a lot of content available to people as well. We have books, podcasts, YouTube videos like this which people can access. They don't have to pay for the advice. Well a smart thing to do is to consume all of our free information first and get, get relentless on it. Listen to all of our podcast episodes. Mark runs a podcast, Mark My Words. I run the Disruptive Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We have the Progressive Property Podcast. We have what um, all the Mark's books, my books, the property books. We have a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos we have the community and spend a week just gobbling it all up because you'll actually get 80% of your questions answered you'll get a lot more clear then you'll know which strategies are right for you and then you can pick the right courses for you rather than you know doing all of them and getting really overwhelmed now that might cost me some money to say that because obviously we'd like you to do all of our courses but yeah we put a lot of free information out there so that people can try us before they invest a lot of money so that they can connect with us um, and just to give you more clarity Focusing on one to three strategies and get great, test new things for six to 12 months first. I think if you have loads and loads of strategies that you're trying to engage in and make work and learn at the same time, you can become a busy fool very quickly and you don't really get good at any of them um, in, in any sort of reasonable space of time. So I think it's good just to focus on maybe two or three strategies 
Um, you know, Rob likes to talk about the 70-20-10, um, where you, you spend 70% of your time on a main strategy, 20 on another, 10% on another that you've just sort of got one eye on. And I think that's a good way to look at it. I see people get into a new year and, and, and often become sort of you know, their, their eyeballs are going around looking at all this different stuff, trying a bit of this, dabbling in that, dabbling in this, doing a bit of this, and 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 they they find it very hard to spend enough time to go really deep and become very very good at a strategy. And of course, it takes that to be able to compete with the others who are yeah. in that marketplace. Not just testing it and going, it didn't work. Yeah. You don't plant a seed and expect the tree the next day. Yeah. We're in the instant gratification world where everyone expects everything really quick. Mm -hmm. So the people who continue to do things consistently well for a long period of time, that they're, that they, they're separated at rising to the top at the moment. Um, and I, I, Mark's taught me that a lot because I get really excited and want to start everything new. And I think it's probably fair to say I've encouraged Mark to get into a few things which have been good for us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very fair to say he stopped us doing plenty of things that I would have got us into, which would have distracted us. So I think it's also good to have partners and good counsel around you who, you know, who are different as well, who can just keep you in check and just make sure you check. Now, one thing I think you always want to say is, if you're going to look at something new, have I given what I'm doing long enough? Really, have I given what I'm doing long enough to actually work? And normally the answer is no. Capital income balance, short term and long term. Yeah, so um, if you're all capital based, capital is a lump of stored money. Um, so, you know, you buy a commercial conversion, there's a lot of capital in there, i.e. future profit. Um, so a lot of people are doing commercial conversions or big um, developments thinking that they're making 2.1 million, but they won't get that for three years. And what are they making in the meantime? Nothing. In fact, they've got debt running on trying to get that 2.1 whatever million. So yeah, you want to make big capital lumps. You know, we've got capital tied into these properties, etc. But you also need to balance that with income paying your mortgage, paying your school fees, everything else. So things like deal packaging and rent to rents. Um, and for Mark and I, our training companies and our books and, and um, you know, information materials, they are an income stream. You know, our books don't have a capital value. I couldn't say to someone, hey, buy the IP of my book for 10 million quid. No one's going to do that. But it's got an income value, i.e., you know, we make a net a quid, woohoo, per book. We share it 50-50, but after the tax and everyone else. So we make about 12 pence a book, you and I. We do sell a good, you know, we sell tens, maybe even up to 100,000 a year in books. So it's, a, it's, it's decent, but it doesn't have any capital value. But we're doing this 85,000 square foot building that is, is a million, millions of pounds worth of profit. But what, Mark, that's going to take two or three years to finish? Yeah. <laughs> so he thinks fine. <laughs> so it's, it's wise to ha have a balance of both. And of course, capital is more long term and income is more short term. So yes, often people are all one or the other. And normally, they're not much cash flow. Number 11, and that's funds do not produce the returns you will. You can get double digit to infinite. Yeah, so lots of people, um, when they're looking to make an investment or go and see an IFA um, or a financial planner, um, to get clear on what it is they want to do, the IFA or the financial planner may look at their spread of investments currently, they'll probably look at their income streams, they'll probably look at their age um, and work out what their objectives are um, and create a, a sort of portfolio that 
meets those objectives in terms of risk, in terms of income, and making sure they've got enough money in later life so they don't t take too many risks uh, and, and put capital at risk, you know, which, which they won't have later on. Um, I think that's fine, um, but what tends to happen is they'll sit with an IFA and the IFA will say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you need some property and you could have some sort of UK-based equities and you could have some um, equities in, I don't know, the Far East or, or wherever else. Maybe we'll get you some government bonds and some gilts and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and people, and often the, the, the IFA financial planners sort of associate the property investment within the fund, because that isn't necessarily the bit that's explained, is the same thing as direct investment okay. into property which you would operate yourself um, and it could be residential or, or commercial but the reality is if you invest directly just in a little buy to lab or a HMO typically your return on capital invested that's the return you get you know on a leveraged investment i.e. on a property that you buy with a mortgage mm -hmm it will easily be 15, 20, 25% um, if you take the capital and the income into account over the long term. That's a property that just yields at 6 yeah. or 7% because in a very simplistic way, if you bought a 100 grand property and you put a 25,000 pound deposit into it and every year, let's just say that that generates, um, I don't know, 5,000 pounds, you've got a, a, you know, a, a really nice return there of £5,000 off an investment of 25000 not an investment of 100000 because you've leveraged it, you've borrowed money. Then in addition, if it goes up 5% annually, goes up 5000 every year, well that's a return on the 25000 that you put in yeah. rather than the 100000 that it costs for the property. So you're making a £10,000 return overall against a 25% against a 25 thousand pound investment. I, I learned 11 years ago that um, you should learn to manage your money and you should manage your own investments. No one cares about your money more than you and the better you get at managing your money the more you will make and this is not against anyone else who might manage your money it's not a judgment call but we'll all manage our own money better than us uh, better than anyone else just like you'd look after your own child maybe better than a babysitter would because it's your money and you get infinite return um, on learning how to manage your money well. Because the better you learn how to manage your money, the more money you make investing your money. So it's a return on the knowledge as well as a return on the money. There Wait, you go. What a one to end on. That's fantastic. So I don't know if um, everyone who's watching knows where the Progressive Property TV is. So what's the channel called? Is our channel called Progressive Property? Yes. Yeah. So you can find that on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to be doing a lot more of these kind of interviews on the PPTV channel. Yeah, there should be at least one a week moving yeah. forward. Okay, great. And also, I recommend that uh, people listen to the Progressive Property Podcast. Um, so then you've got us on video when you've got time to sit down over a coffee. And you've got us when you're in the car and on the train as well. Fantastic. So thanks, Beth. That's right. Thank you for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thank you for watching, guys. Um, if you did like this video, give it a like below. And why not come check out our YouTube channel as well to see more videos like this.